electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, skipping a beat. Don't miss a day about which Fed official might be saying something. The Fed's latest signal on rates, not a pause, not a pivot, but a skip. Who's saying what and what it means for the markets with economist Joe Lavornia. Once they pause, the market's then going to assume they want to ease, which is the right conclusion the market will draw. Plus, a debt ceiling deal heading to the Senate. Elon Musk rolling in riches. And Apple's new headset, a ramp into the metaverse? CNBC's Steve Kovac explains. It's going to be an Apple versus Just Facebook Apple story. Apple make the hardware and focus on the software. And IPOs, are they back? And are investors even interested? Tasty Trades, Tom Sosnoff. Investors have a right to take a step back and be concerned about any IPO or any price. They've been force-fed some really bad deals over the last couple of years. It's Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Kelly Evans along with Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are both off today. Let's get a check in USA. First up today on the podcast, Word Games. The U.S. Federal Reserve, which has been on a tear of raising interest rates for more than a year in an effort to cool down rising prices, has introduced maybe a new word into the lexicon. Skip. This is from the central bank that brought us the pause. Will they? Won't they? The pivot. Will they cut rates in response to potential crises like bank failures? Even transitory, the word used by many to describe post-COVID pandemic temporary price inflation that was anything but. A new word has entered the chat. Let's get back to Joe and Kelly. Two Fed officials signaling yesterday they are increasingly likely to hold interest rates steady at the June meeting before potentially raising them again later this summer. In a speech in Washington, Fed Governor Philip Jefferson said in his words, skipping a rate hike at a coming meeting would allow the committee to see more data. A decision to hold our policy rate constant at a coming meeting should not be interpreted to mean that we have reached the peak rate for this cycle. Separately, Fed President Patrick Harker uh, spoke at a conference yesterday. We're getting close to a point where we can sit for a little bit in terms of policy. Uh, I don't know if we're exactly there yet, but I am in the camp increasingly in coming into this meeting of uh, thinking that we really should skip, not pause. I don't like the word pause, but skip uh, uh, an increase. Harker is a voting member of the FOMC. Uh, this year. I watch your show, okay, but maybe you've got a reason for not watching, but I was ranting yesterday about Mester all morning long. It's like saying, I don't see any reason to stop. Well, the Fed didn't see any reason to raise Absolutely. at zero. It's all rearview mirror. So why the rearview mirror is no better now than it was. They've done 500 basis points. Right, Wait no. and see. And if you compare the speeches, they're citing the same data that put them in the wrong transitory camp for the same reason why they should now stay in the longer for higher camp. Maybe you did watch yesterday. 
I'm always no, watching. No, I watch you. you don't, I... But Mester yesterday, and, I, and we said, because we were all, and, and she moved, she didn't, not just her, but the notion that it, there would be another hike, we went from zero or 10% all the way back to 60 and then as of you, yesterday. Now then, we're going to go back down. Exactly. After. Here's the weird thing in the afternoon. So yeah. Phil Jefferson crosses the wires, I forget who it was after that, both kind of in the skip camp, I think it was Harker. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. you saw bond yields move, right? You all of a sudden then saw those odds dial all the way back to about a third of a percent of a, of a hike. Makes a little bit more sense. No movement in equities. Right. Why? I don't know. We got the debt ceiling. What we're up fifty. You know, debt ceiling's done. We're up fifty points on the Dow. But we closed. I, we, we didn't go down much. S and P was down a little more than half a percent. Didn't move after those remarks. Above forty two hundred too. But you, you saw the article the other day that the quants are lessening the volatility from from normal. They always investors. are for now. They're just they're they're like beta in the market, right? Like when it's calm, they make it calmer, and then when it starts to freak out, they'll make it probably worse. Right. So she's a non-voting member. So I don't know where. But that's what I'm saying. Do so they when, send her out to say that just to, to throw us off? And then do they, they, the other ones go out when they say, or was she was she wrong about saying that? And, and they sent these guys out to I say, think it look, was we're all not pre-scheduled. I mean, I'm sure they're responding somewhat to, to what everybody else is saying, but they're on the schedule. These are the comments they're choosing to make. And again, kind of what's a little weird to me. I guess the market is giving credence to the ones who are kind of more significant. But even okay, take um, what's his name uh, from the St. Louis Fed, who's now Waller. Right. So he yeah. comes out with this framework he's now seen as kind of like the influential. Right. Bullard's gone. In... <laughs> right. This but, is hard for me to even. But Waller is seen as kind of this like leading indicator for the Fed in his speech. Hike, skip or pause. He didn't go in the skip camp necessarily. So, you know, they're sending a lot of mixed messages. I can't believe it. Now we're... skip's going to become a word yeah. like pivot. Yeah. It is for a time. Right. For a yeah. fleeting time. I'm pleased to yield one minute to the gentleman who has worked numerous hours, days. In fact, he's been working since January. The gentleman from California, Speaker McCarthy. Gentleman's recognized. The Fiscal Responsibility Act is the biggest spending cut in American history. I, for one, Mr. Speaker, don't want to be on the wrong side of history. This is a 15-minute vote. Yeas are 314, the nays are 117. The bill is passed. We didn't do it by taking the easy way. We didn't do it by the ways that people did it in the past, by just lifting it. We decided that you had to spend less, and we achieved that goal. The bill to raise the debt ceiling, meantime, passed the House by a vote of 314 to 117 last night. In a statement, President Biden thanked Speaker McCarthy for negotiating in good faith and urged the Senate to pass the bill quickly. Late last night, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer formally placed the bill on today's calendar. Leaders on both sides have said they want it to pass in 48 hours. How many, 79 of them said no? Nay! Oh, they're so brave. They're so brave. They're so principled about the debt. If any of those guys had been the vote to take us into a fault, there's no way. They were all free votes. They all get to say, I voted my conscience law. They all get to, they're worried about getting primaried. You know, everybody worries about getting primaried now. But those, I mean, come on. In the, uh, the rules vote, only 29 in the previous in the rules vote, but they had they saw how many democrats were coming on board so it was a free no vote to pretend that they're that they're fiscally responsible they're not to you know memory lane it but i don't know where you were kind of intellectually 2011 2012 tea party austerity all that i, oh, I was with them yeah so why, why <laughs> were, were you though or, or um but i've always had a little bit of affinity for I, yeah, yeah. It, and here's my point why all of a sudden debt to gdp has doubled right from 60 to 120 percent 
deficit, you know, interest rates are way higher than they were. Like we face a more meaningful problem this time around. We do. And we have not that the debt ceiling is the right fight, but there's much less of a push for austerity, broadly speaking. And I, I can't quite figure it out. And what I can't figure out is that the people that want to have government be the answer to helping people. And I, I, if, it, if I thought it was effective, I would be on full bore. But if all your money is being spent on paying off interest, right. you don't have money to do any of the stuff that you want, you know, education totally. or the, the safety net. So they, got that, they have to connect those dots eventually, that if rates go up, and you've got nothing left after you pay your debt service, you can't, and then you can't grow, and that's the only way out of this is it, growing. And so I really thought there was going to be more drama this time around, and it's just in like with the, the you know Goldman and some of the other analysts are saying it just doesn't even pull that high in terms of people. They don't even really want the fight. They don't really want the austerity right now. It's kind of right. interesting. Well, we'll get to. Uh, I mean, McCarthy is probably one of the most popular politicians in the country right now, which no one would have predicted after those, those Back 15 in January, votes. Yeah. V'ger, do you remember V'ger? No. Okay, they, Star Trek, they sent out Voyager, but it, it kept getting more and more powerful, kept growing in power as it went around the universe. By the time it came back, it was, I'm not saying he'll be an evil force, but V'ger was a scary thing, and part of the letters went off, and, and the Voyager, so they didn't even know V'ger was Voyager. Anyway, Elon Musk, once again, the world's richest person, that's according to the Bloomberg Billionaires uh, Index updated this morning. It says Musk's fortune is worth $192 billion. LVMH CEO Bernard Arnault uh, falls to second uh, with $187 billion. And Jeff Bezos uh, is third with $144 billion. You see the wine art that he paid, overpaid for wine over in France, and they were making fun of him, some wine guy. He paid $4,000 for a bottle of wine that was only worth $600. Does it matter? No. To, to Jeff, no. He's living, he's Doesn't doing matter. his thing, yeah. Uh, Musk overtook Arnaud thanks to a 24% jump in shares of Tesla uh, in May, and LVMH shares um, declined more than 6% in May. What's, Just to dwell on that for a second, yeah. what's going on in the luxury piece is kind of interesting because LVMH, pretty bad. You saw what happened with uh, Capri the other day. Versace was very weak. We had the SAC CEO telling Sarah Eisen the other day that he, they do a survey and there's kind of like a, a luxury recession. Um, Weird. Yeah, and people have talked about the white-collar recession because the tech layoffs and the market decline and all of that, but to see it really show up in a more meaningful way has been um, impactful to all of these stocks. You know, LVMH still up 20% this year, but that's a softer patch you can see there from, like, April, May. Is Remy Cointreau the same? Uh, did you see this earlier? I just looked at it on the headline. Expect sales down 40%. Wow. Why? Because there was a post-pandemic bounce in liquor sales a year ago Weird. that they're not seeing now. But Well, and we had Moet and Chandon, the CEO of the champagne company, yep. and she said their U.S. weakness was being felt in bars, nightclubs, and restaurants. So they absolutely see a slowdown as well compared to this time a year ago. Well, you know who our guy on this is. Well, we, maybe we can get him on this subject too. I'm with, sure. With Robert Frank, because he knows what rich people are doing all the time. Not that saying he is, although he's fine, I'm sure. He's got his finger on that pulse. Cheese will be next. Coming up, more T-bills. We're on the edge of our seats. You don't think this is like the most tantalizing? No, no, the short term. Even the two-year, 4.4? Kelly. And the Federal Reserve spilling the tea, skipping the tea. Economist Joe Lavornia on where rate hikes are going from here and how the markets will digest them. 
that one final sip puts you over the edge. And I think that's kind of the tightening. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You get the whirlies and throw up or well. Squawk Pod is back after this. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Stand by Joe, his mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Kelly. Good morning. Kelly Evans. Kelly Evans. Along with Kelly Evans, who uh, it's a rare sighting at this uh, time. Rare sighting at this time, and you have made it well known how difficult it is. I was going to say, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I say, no, it's, uh, it's easy. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, it is a pleasure to have you here, but it is, uh, you know it when you get up at 3.30. Becky and Andrew are both off. Treasuries. Uh, check out uh, short-term treasuries. You Thank can you. really get, uh, you know, you, you won't know what. You don't think this is like the no. most tantalizing? No, no, the short-term. Like, okay, show the one year. fine. Even the two-year, 4.4? Kelly. One year, 5.2. That's Merrill what I'm Lynch, talking about. Back when I started, 13% tax-free muni bonds, triple tax-free. 13% triple tax. Now, would you do that? Triple tax yeah, free. I would do 5%, 5.2% on a one year T bill. I okay. would. I'm T-bill All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be no, barely just for ahead, the year. Just barely for the year. ahead not, of not, inflation. Not long term, just for now. Don't miss a day uh, about which Fed official might be saying something. Uh, now we're back to do they skip or not skip? That's the question now. Uh, the Fed's rate hike guessing game kicked into high gear yesterday. First it was Mester saying, oh yeah, non-voting. But Mester saying, I see no reason not to raise. And then uh, both Federal Reserve Governor Philip Jefferson and Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker both almost said the same thing, like they were sent to do it almost, suggesting the central bank may consider skipping a June rate hike. For more, let's bring in Joe Lavornia, former NEC chief economist, and he is now SMBC, uh, Nico Securities America chief economist. Do you watch this show? Which show? This show. Of course. Is there That's any a other? question. Did, I was ranting yesterday, which far be it, you know, I usually don't it's rant. not like you. Yeah, but I was ranting that, okay, Nestor says, I don't see any reason to stop hiking. Did they see any reason to start hiking at zero? Could they see the future then? No. Can they see the future? They always use rearview mirror. So if you don't know the effect yet of what you've already done, why would you make that statement? And, and I think these other two guys were watching me. They probably Because I have delusions. Well, I have delusions of grandeur. And then they came out Austin's and said- Austin's been watching you. Yeah, Austin does. For, for, but for now, when we get, where are we now? We were at 60. Sure. For, we went we up from- We actually close from, to 70. 
to 70 so that they were going to hike. Came back. Well, now where are we? Well, Powell, Jay Powell came out a few weeks ago and talked about uh, mentioned pause. And then Chris Waller, who's basically his right-hand man from everything I understand, See, that's yeah, Waller, came out that's and said, saying. well, we yeah. might be hiking. So I said, whoa, wait a minute. The left and right hands aren't, aren't connected here. And then you've had a lot of different commentary. Joe, the reality is once they pause, the market's then going to assume they, they want to ease, which is the right conclusion the market will draw. Uh, it's so the I right conclusion. I love it's that the you right said, conclusion. Said, yeah, because the thing is, we're gonna stop. You, we're it's kind of like, you know, well, I don't want to get into a drinking analogy. It's too early in the morning. But that one final sip puts you over the edge. And I think that's kind of the tightening. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You get the whirlies and throw up or? Well, what? I, <laughs> that's, that's TMI. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but, the, but the thing is, is they've raised rates a lot. They've been very restrictive. The yield curve is so massively inverted. Leading indicators are down 13 months in a row. Inflation's lagging. They, they're making a classic policy mistake. I think it was Michael Burry uh, who said that the Fed of the, not trying to make the mistake of the 1970s is making the mistake the Fed made of the 1930s. I mean, look what's happening with all these regional banks. And that's because you could put money in money market accounts. So if they raise rates again, that's only going to exacerbate the problem. For them to go in July, if they skip June, the hurdle for hikes has got to be really, really high regardless of what they say. They're really going to start up again? It's odd to me. So I can understand if the Fed goes, well, we don't want to trust the yield curve because whatever. What, but leading indicators are, are such a part of normal business. Like, yeah. like we're talking, you know, why, why don't they talk more about that, you know? Why do they it's, talk about how we have to... Because it's too much groupthink. There's too much consensus. I mean, economists don't agree on anything. And look at the Supreme Court as an institution. It fights and debates all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got 19 people that basically always agree, look, except it, for the one token dissenter in the old days. You mentioned Austin. We, we had Austin on, and, and some people said, when he was on saying, I agreed with the last hike, they said it looked like a hostage tape. They said he absolutely... Like, who was it? Someone was on that stage. He said he absolutely... I think it was Paul Tudor Jones said there's no doubt that Austin didn't want to go last time. Yeah, they all got to go for I don't know why we have to have consensus. Thing. Why can't we have debate? So that's part of it. But on the yield curve, Kelly, why is it the yield curve is not useful? It's not a useful gauge. It is when the, the curve right now is deeply inverted. How does that curve normalize? It only normalizes because the Fed cuts. Tenure note's not going to sell off here. Why would the tenure note sell off here with inflation coming down and break even inflation expectations around 2%? The Fed would have to take the funds rate, for 10-year yields to sell off, the funds rate would have to go to like 7 or 8%. It's not going to happen. So we're at the terminal rate already then. We're above the terminal rate. Well, here's the thing, Joe. I would say is you look back at 2019, the Fed funds rate couldn't even get to 2%, and the Fed had a cut. This economy, to me, is not as dynamic it was as it was in 2019. I'm sorry. I just don't believe it. So how the heck can we sustain 5% plus FUD funds? And they themselves, I think we're going to go under two. That research where they what? said our star is still, you know, who, who was it, the official just the other day, who said, yeah. you know, the economy still has the same sort of low natural rate that it did prior yeah. to the pandemic, which would make exactly the point you're well, making. You've got no, I mean, look at productivity. If you've got very little GDP growth. In the last five quarters, gross domestic product's grown 1%. The income numbers actually show a decline. You've got high employment. That only confirms you've got terrible productivity numbers. Uh, you've got an aging population. Real rates are probably, this is where I do agree with Larry Summers, real rates are probably zero, if not negative, the real natural rate. Mm -hmm. So if they keep going then, and, and I, listen, I do in some ways understand when they say, well, but payrolls are still positive and inflation still, okay, I, I kind of get that. It, it, they just, those, those are the facts. What are the facts going to look like um, six, 12 months out, do you think? Whenever the recession happens, 
people will be surprised. And that may seem like it's obvious, but the same thing happened in 08. Because I remember in 08 thinking the economy was going to roll over. And in the second quarter, GDP was almost 2.5%, and we had the soft landing. And we were six, seven months into a recession. We yeah. didn't know it. So the surprise will be whenever that month the employment number turns out to be a lot weaker than expected and the unemployment rate gaps up three or four tenths, the bond market will price 75% of the Fed easing like immediately. And by the way, the average Fed easing is about 400 basis points. And, but if that event, if, it's almost like if I, if I were President Biden, I would have wanted the weakness to come already. Because then oh, it could absolutely. be coming out well, of it in want, 2024. The Fed is going to get blamed regardless. But again, they kind of put this bullet on its back because it was way too easy for way too long. They went from one extreme to the other extreme. And to make matters worse, they're trying to be transparent, which in some ways you don't want to take responsibility for things you can't control, which is predicting the economy and controlling it. The Fed funds rate's a very blunt instrument. Uh, they don't know how QE works. They don't know how QT works. Uh, Bernanke has said as much. So now they're going to be, so they're going to make somebody really happy next year, unhappy coming into a presidential election. I thought we were normalizing rates. How could we be 400 basis points too high? Because what's right, going to cause that as emergency? Because that's an emer, one percent an emergency sort of a pandemic. No, but I think you'll get financial. the funds rate. No, I, no, Not I with an aging Joe, economy. Well, huh? if inflation moves back to two percent, which I believe will happen in the next year and a half, two years, maybe sooner. Uh, then your real rate being zero puts the funds rate somewhere around 175, 2%, the nominal funds rate. So you, is, I, I was thinking maybe 400 basis points when we used to be at much higher levels. Sure. But you're saying, I mean, on a percentage basis, that's giving back, that's 80% of, yeah, we'll of, of what well, we just raised. But we're not going to get probably any fiscal help, not with the finances the way they are. So the pressure then is going to come back exactly. on the Fed to do what it can. And they'll be doing QE again, and all, this, all these shenanigans will restart. See, I think you're smarter with the glasses. Do I sound better? You seem smarter seem to me. Smarter. What about? Well, what about? I still seem no, dumb. Yeah. Dumb. It's like no, it's silly. like that Wonder Woman. You know, she changed. We got to go, Joe. Thank you. Powers. Thank you. Good to have you on. Thank you. Either way, classes. Coming up, AIPO. A little before and after for you. The artificial intelligence boom. Will it reawaken a sleepy scene for companies going public? Tasty Trades. Tom Sosnoff you're probably looking at a space that could absorb a couple of decent IPOs. I mean, I know for sure, from a trader standpoint, we would love to see Stripe in the marketplace. We'd love to see Instacart in the marketplace. And Apple moving into the metaverse? That's all next on Squawk Pod. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Kelly Evans. Here's Kelly. IPOs not on the radar this year with only 68 companies going public so far. That's down 93% from the 2021 peak, which saw more than 1,000 debuts. Could the rise of AI startups help the market make a comeback? Joining us now is Tom Sosnoff, founder of Tasty Trade. Tom, Sam Lesson the other day actually made this point that he thinks a lot of the AI is not so much going to be uh, benefiting startups, but really benefiting big corporate incumbents like the, the common mega cap tech names we all know and love. 
Well, so far that's been the case, no doubt about it. I mean, let's hope that it extends way beyond that, but so far that's that that's what we've seen. Would would you then bet on any major? I'm not even going to say IPO wave, but you know, there's a few. There's Instacart. I think there's um, one of the payment companies, maybe Stripe. I mean, there's a few that have been kind of stuck out there waiting in the wings. And wouldn't this be their market moment? I don't know if they're going to have a, a lot better window from here. Well, clearly, when you get it, the market loves new technology. And when you get this kind of excitement um, and this kind of frothiness around technology, you know, it's good for speculation. So it's good for the IPO market, especially stocks like, you know, Instacart and things like that, that have and Stripe that have been waiting a long time to go, to bring their uh, stock public. I, I think, it, you know, it obviously is a better market now than it was a year ago when they were thinking about it. So um, from that standpoint, the answer is yes. So why aren't they going? You know, we have seen some spinoffs. We saw the J&J Kenview spinoff. That went reasonably well. It seems there's been a little bit of activity. So if you're Instacart, if you're Stripe, why not go now? Well, pro- probably because, you know, the markets the market is very foretelling and the markets also, um, they have a really good sense. It's not like the, it, it's probably a strategic decision based on the amount of interest, you know, either at that specific price or you know how much interest they're seeing in their stock. If they're not going, it's it's there, there's a reason for it, which is, means they can't get their stock really placed at the price they want to. Yeah. What else would you say about? I mean, are, is there a little bit of a sense that investors have been burned by the performance of of recent IPOs and SPACs, and that's making it somewhat less palatable now? Well, of course. I mean, that's why you know that's. I mean, if you look at the, I, I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but I know it's in the mid '90s of you know of kind of all the SPAC failures. If you think about, um, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years, so investors have a right to be to take a step back and be concerned about any IPO or any price. I mean, they've been they've been force fed some really bad deals over the last couple of years, and yeah, it does things like what's happened. Things like what we've seen recently in the AI space with NVIDIA and Microsoft and all these big names, but these are trillion-dollar companies. And when trillion-dollar companies get frothy, you know, the rest of the market gets a little scared about, you know, some of the speculative plays. But, you know, again, it, it can't hurt. And with the strength of the NASDAQ, you're probably looking at a space that could absorb a couple of decent IPOs. I mean, I know for sure, from a trader standpoint, we would love to see Stripe in the marketplace. We'd love to see Instacart in the marketplace. Yeah, and, and maybe it would give better pricing to the public investor than it would have a couple of years ago. Just a quick final question then. I still have to imagine there's going to be some startups who are hoping they can hit the public markets with something related to AI. Are you just saying people should maybe be a little bit cautious about that? Well, I mean, you're talking about a space that's no question. We've reached a level of probably some upside capitulation and a little frothiness. So I I mean, I would be, and I think you saw today, a lot of the stocks that had earnings, especially in the AI space, including AI, yeah. um, you know, they're down pretty significantly pre-market. So I think, yeah, of course, you've got to go into it with, um, you know, understanding what's happened and, and how expensive these stocks are on a relative basis right now. So you've got to be careful about that. All right, Tom Sosnoff, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks. Apple's uh, Worldwide Developers Conference kicks off on Monday, and the tech giant is expected to unveil a new VR headset. And Steve Kovacs 
uh, joins us now with a look at Apple's uh, new reality. Uh, if this is an AI, it, this is so 2022. Uh, uh, right? We're, we're talking about the metaverse again? Uh, What's know, going on here? You are just living so, in the past. So let me, let me break it down for you. Like you said, Joe, this is the first major new product since Apple Watch unveiling back in 2014. That's almost nine years ago, if you're keeping count. Entering a space now filled with many middling attempts to make the next big thing. Remember Google Glass, Magic League, and of course, Facebook's name change to Meta, putting the future of that company into unproven technology. And now it's Apple's turn. How it's reported to work, it's similar to Meta's last headset. There are cameras on the outside to provide a view of the real world on the screen inside. Then digital images are placed on top of the real world. It can also be switched over to full virtual reality. And we likely won't get all the details like a price or specific launch date on Monday. But more important than what the device is capable of, it's how Apple makes its pitch. No one has figured out what this category is actually for yet. No killer app. Look at where things stand now. We have ByteDance's Pico, Sony's PlayStation VR 2 for gaming, and two models from Meta, the Quest 2 and the Quest Pro. None of these have turned into blockbuster products so far, and even more are expected later this year beyond what Apple has, including a headset from Samsung running new software from Google. Now, Apple's reputation, of course, entering an established category like MP3 players or smartphones and perfecting it. But that's not always the case. The Apple Watch, for example, was unproven. And at first it did everything until Apple pared back the features to focus on health and fitness. Still muted expectations for sales of this Apple headset. Analyst Ming-Ching Kuo estimating this spring, Apple is only prepared to ship 200 to 300,000 headsets this year at as much as $4,000 a pop. If true, the headset won't be a significant sales for dr driver for Apple anytime soon. Also important product to cement CEO Tim Cook's legacy as he likely nears the end of his run that began in 2011, guys. I thought about that. Yeah. You can't leave. Yeah, he's, but he's been there 10 years. I'm not saying he's leaving tomorrow, but you know, this is probably going to be the last major product he unveils in his tenure. So this is a huge amount of pressure. The watch was the last one nine and a half years ago. And here we go. What about this. a flying AI Apple car there with, we a, go. with a TV set? You might get the car out in time, but they've, that's no TV set. The, the TV Apple set's TV. been dead for I, a, I a long time. So I don't know. I got some uh, show and tell here. The so watch, this is the state of things right now. Did the watch change anything? I still won't. I won't wear one of those. According have to, one of I have one, according to Tim Cook, 20% of iPhone, more than 20% of iPhone owners have a watch. So they see a lot of. By the way, for, you know, it's a big, big hit with moms parents people track who, your kid like, the phone is somewhere you got it like I, I just have to like dictate to this around it, it has its use i don't cases. know where my phone is i i, I have this general unwell feeling <laughs> i need to know <laughs> where my you. phone is what but, are these headsets yeah that you have? so i got I'm a few demos imagine. here so this is the magic leap this was one of the first yeah. companies that just kind of captivated it google was a big investor so up to be on the board it collapsed <laughs> and now they're focusing on the enterprise which you know can sometimes be a death knell when these companies say oh we're moving away from the consumer that's right. what google glass did but this is their second version of the headset and you'll notice this is a little hint battery at what pack. Apple yep. is going to likely do, have a separate battery pack that you kind of clip on your belt. It's getting which better is, and better for Joe. Right, right. <laughs> she, we have one of those things at, at home. I've never seen anyone put it on. Only for gaming. And I, I never have. Well, speaking it, of gaming, this is the Sony one. This is actually interesting. It's a little bit different than the other ones. I feel stupid it's, if I put that thing you on. You look like Daft Punk when you wear this thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
But for gaming, this this is really well reviewed. The problem that's all with, isn't for me. That's all Meta ever was. What for gaming? gaming. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they so have why is that? Vision. Then why do you change the name of the most successful that's startup? The at, investors spoke. Why would that, you do that? You know what they're doing now? They they gave it all back to the investors. They, but at some point, Apple and Meta are going to be deeply linked because Apple will make the hardware again, and I imagine Meta will end up much like the Facebook, one of the main platforms you know that you use if they ever get this thing past gaming. By the way, Mark Zuckerberg today, in a couple hours here, he's going to do uh, Instagram Live where he's likely going to try to front run Apple and show off their next headset really? and give a little teaser for that. So he's they, getting ahead of the competition. It's going to be an Apple versus just Facebook let Apple story. Apple make the hardware and focus on the you software. You would considering how poorly reviewed and received their last headset was. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If I visit Rome, can I smell the, the, the carbonara? Can I feel I the, the spray from the Trevi fountain? No, can it it doesn't there. work. If you like games, it's kind of cool. But that's What's a, wrong with but, going there? But this is the point, Joe. How is Apple going to pitch this? Because none of these companies have been able to, no, com to break through. To create this I know. compelling use They're case. saying we got to go. Uh, uh, see, this I think so that's, that's just virtual AI. Yeah. That's, that's not really yeah. our producers in no. the back. No. no, don't have to listen. Thank you, Steve. That's the pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Kelly Evans for sitting in today. She's too tall. Are you like eight feet tall? I used to be almost 5'11". Tune in to our TV show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And get the best of it right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.